Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and a joy to be in uh, worship together once again this Sunday. So uh, our passage today, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 19 through 23. And you can turn there in your own Bibles if you'd like, or you can follow along on the slides above. Um, We are going to be over the next several weeks looking at uh, these last several chapters in John's gospel and talking about encounters with the risen Christ, encounters with the risen Christ. And we're going to be looking at these stories that come from the last few chapters of John, which is this sort of crazy time in history uh, where the whole world had changed because Jesus had risen from the dead, and yet it was all still so new, and nobody Nobody really quite knew what was going on yet. And so uh, I hope that you will, you will sort of experience a little bit of that as you look at these passages and think about what the disciples must have been going through. We see Jesus revealed in a different way in these passages because he is, has been risen from the dead. And we see the disciples responding to him and the different people who encountered him responding and hearing in a different way because of that, uh, because uh, they have seen the risen Lord. And so uh, that is the same way we experience Jesus Christ now as the risen Lord. And so I hope we will uh, take some things away from that. So let's pray before we look at our passage together today. Gracious God, we pray as always that you would open our ears to hear your word, that you would open our hearts to receive it and our minds as well. Lord, would you work in us by your Holy Spirit as we uh, receive your word today? Would you speak to us once again? Lord, we pray that we would not leave here unchanged. We ask this all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Starting at verse 19. Jesus appears to his disciples. On that evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wanted to start this morning with a uh, reflection from my Old Testament professor, a woman named Ellen Davis, and uh, she was reflecting on the Sunday after Easter, that's today, and the fact that in some places or in some traditions that this Sunday is known as Low Sunday, Low Sunday. The term supposedly refers to church attendance, uh, that everybody was here last week and so they've done their duty. You've ticked that box, and maybe you're not here this week, but good job to all of you uh, for being here today. Um, But it can also refer to something else. Uh, It says, presumably, everyone who is not here today exhausted their religious energy last week. But there's got to be more to it than that. If people stay away from church in record numbers after Easter Sunday, then you have to wonder if it has something to do with the fact that for many, and maybe even some of us here today, 
Easter season is a disappointment. A week ago, we proclaimed that Christ is risen, triumphant over sin and death. And yet today, the graves of those that we love so dearly are not empty. And nor does the news of the past week indicate that sin has been eradicated from our world. But we don't need the mass media to tell us that. Our own hearts and our homes and our workplaces offer abundant evidence that sin has not loosened its grip since last Sunday. Some years, for any one of us, there is a huge gap between the Easter proclamation of joy and the felt reality of grief and guilt, chaos, hopelessness, a gap that threatens to swallow us in our fragile faith. And I think this is the sort of low place that we defined the disciples in at the beginning of today's passage. It's the evening of that first Easter Sunday, that very resurrection day. And we find the disciples hiding out together behind locked doors, afraid of the religious leaders. They're afraid for their very lives. I don't know, some of you in here may have been in a situation like that before where you have feared for your very life. I have never been myself. Maybe riding with certain friends in a car, uh, but nothing like this, (laughs) nothing like this, where you're not sure if people are coming to get you. And this is where the disciples were on that first resurrection day, that evening. They're hiding behind closed doors with their closest group of friends, wondering what's going to happen. And I hope again that this passage can put us into sort of that mindset that the disciples may have been in that first Easter. Maybe they've gotten the news of the resurrection they have, but can they believe it? Is this really true? Uh, What's actually happening here? I wonder uh, if their fear is stronger than whatever hope that this unbelievable news about the resurrection has provided for them. It must have been hard for them to believe, impossible even. Jesus had been crucified, and that was enough to swallow even their fragile faith. I wonder if they must have been wondering, I wonder if they wondered how everything had gone so wrong so quickly. This is just one week after the triumphal entry, when everybody was there at the gates of Jerusalem, cheering Jesus on, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. People were celebrating him. They were excited to see him. This was the Messiah coming in to rescue his people. And yet here we are one week later, and all of these bad things had happened. Jesus has had two trials. He's been crucified. They're hiding out. What just happened in the blink of an eye? And then out of nowhere, Jesus is right there with them in their very midst. It doesn't say how Jesus got through those locked doors, and probably that wasn't the disciples' main concern at that point. I wonder if that's one of those things they thought about later. How did Jesus get in there? But at that moment, all they're thinking is, Jesus is here. Here is our friend. We saw him die on the cross. We saw him buried in the tomb, and yet here he is in this room in our midst. Jesus is back in the flesh. He's not a ghost. He's not a vision He is alive again. Jesus shows them his hands and his side, the wounds that he had uh, incurred, to show them, here is the proof. This is really me in the flesh, in the body. I have really died. 
And yet here I am, really alive again. These are the two points of Easter that people have been debating since that first resurrection day. Did Jesus really die? Did Jesus really come back to life? And the answer to both of these questions from our passage today, from the whole New Testament, is yes. Jesus really died, physically, bodily, died. And he really came back to life, physically and bodily, resurrected from the dead. This was unprecedented, friends. This was unprecedented. Now, we've seen people brought back to life in the Bible before. We even saw Lazarus a couple of chapters earlier in the Gospel of John be brought back to life. But it was not like this. It was not like this because Jesus was in a new body. He was in a resurrected body. You see, Lazarus was going to die again. He was raised from the tomb, but he was going to die again. His body was going to age and get old, and he would be buried one day again. But this body that Jesus is in is not going to see decay anymore. This body is a resurrected body, a new body. And so this is unprecedented. And then Jesus says three things to the disciples, which I want us to explore today. This is going to be the focus of our sermon this morning. He says three things to the disciples, three words that these frightened and discouraged disciples need to hear in that moment. Three things that help them to understand the meaning of the resurrection. And three words for us as the church that we need to hear today as the people of God. And these are what he said, the things that he said. One, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Two, receive the Holy Spirit. And three, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, he said it in a little bit different order in our passage, but this is the way we're going to look at it today. So, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. This sounds like a a great way to greet the disciples here. Not only are they hiding for their lives, but the man that they thought was dead has just appeared in the middle of them. And so they are feeling anything but peaceful in that moment. But Jesus says to them, peace be with you. In fact, he says it two times in our passage today, and we'll see he says it again uh, in the, just the next passage that we're going to look at next week. Peace be with you. This is an important word that he has for them. It tells us that it's not just a polite greeting, but there's something important in these words that Jesus wants his disciples to hear. On one level, it points to other times in the Bible when God's messengers appear to human beings, and they say, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. We might think of when the angel appears to Mary to tell her that she is going to give birth to Jesus or when the angels appear to the shepherds at Jesus' birth and say, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. And yet, uh, here Jesus assures the disciples that his presence with them right there is a good thing because he is speaking to fearful people. People, again, who are worried if they're going to be arrested, if they may even be killed for being Jesus' followers. So he's there to encourage them, saying there is no need for you to be afraid. And the disciples are glad to see him. It says they are overjoyed when they see the Lord. But Jesus, I think, is saying something more to the disciples here than simply do not fear. He's telling them something about what has just happened, about what the resurrection means for them. Peace be with you. He's talking about what the resurrection has accomplished for them 
and for all people. That through his death and resurrection, Jesus has made peace between God and human beings. He has healed the relationship that was broken by sin. Jesus' last words on the cross in the Gospel of John are, It is finished. And this is what he is talking about when he greets his disciples. I have done what I came to do. God and people have been brought back together again. It reminds me of the line from the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where it says, God and sinners reconciled. That this is what Jesus came to do and to accomplish on the cross. And what's implied here is the truth that before this, we did not have peace with God. This is what sin does. It creates an animosity between us and God on our side. It actively leads us away from God, which leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. It leads to relational death. It ultimately leads to physical death. And the way sin does this is it deceives us. Sin is deceitful by its nature. It lies to us and it tells us that following our own way is what is best for us. You think back to the, when uh, the serpent deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. What does he say to them? Did God really say? Did God really say that eating from this tree will lead you to death? That's not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. And this is the nature of sin, to tell us lies, to say what God's word to you is isn't actually the truth. You know better than God does. It's important for us to recognize as human beings that there is something at work inside each one of us that wants to keep things that way, that wants us to keep us in this uh, animosity between us and God, to keep that broken relationship there, that does not want us to follow Christ, that has no interest in us being obedient to God, And this is our sinful nature that is at work in us. There is something in each one of us that wants to pull us away from God, that wants us to follow our own way and our own desires, for us to live for ourselves. And if you're honest, then you will know that this is true, that there are times when you think, I just want to live for myself and do what I want to do. We needed Christ to make peace with God for us because it wasn't there before. And we were unable to do this for ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 5, he describes us as being enemies of God when we were still in our sins. He says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Friends, how much more shall we be reconciled through his life? In the same passage, Paul says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because we had become so good. It's not because we had worked things out or had gone to God and said, God, I want peace with you. It's because we could not rescue ourselves that Christ died for us. It was while we were God's enemies, while we were still in our sins, Paul also talks about the same idea in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace through his blood 
shed on the cross. Friends, this is what God has done for us. This is the good news right here, that we have been given peace with God. And we need to hear this message again and again, that because Christ, because of Christ, peace is what defines our relationship with God now. Not anger, not disappointment, not judgment, not animosity, but peace. Because we are in Christ, we can be called children of God. And that is how he sees us. We have peace. In my last church, we used to have a time uh, where we would uh, confess our sins together. We would have a, a written prayer that we would all pray and a time of silent prayer where we would confess our sins. And after that, each week, we would have what was called the assurance of pardon, where we would hear a word of God's grace to us to assure us that we had been forgiven. And at the end, each time, we would say, uh, friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Peace be with you, friends, because in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. This is uh, Jesus' first words to his disciples here on that first resurrection day. Peace be with you. Peace has been made between you and your creator. So then we have the second word, which is receive the Holy Spirit in verse 22. Now, this part of the passage, I will admit, is a little strange. But as I've looked at this passage more and more, uh, this is the part that I have come to really love about it, was that Jesus breathed on the disciples. That's how he gave them the Holy Spirit, which seems to be a little bit strange, especially maybe in a post-pandemic world, we would say, hold on, Jesus, don't breathe on me, okay? Uh, and maybe we might look at the story from Acts, right, at Pentecost. That's in a more impressive way to receive the Holy Spirit, right? A wind fills up the room. We have tongues of fire coming down. People are speaking in different languages. That's the way we want the Holy Spirit to come. But yet here, Jesus breathes on his disciples. Why would he breathe on them? There must be a better way to give the Holy Spirit than that. But something that has become obvious to me uh, as I've read through the Gospel of John over the years is that as John is writing his Gospel, he has Genesis on the brain, the book of Genesis on the brain as he is writing the Gospel. And specifically, the first chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, the account of the creation and the fall. The whole Bible starts with, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The gospel of John starts with, in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John proceeds to retell the story of creation with Christ at the very center of it. In the story in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created the light and he saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And John says that the light shines into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And then we see Jesus' last words on the cross in John, which we just quoted. He says, it is finished. And when God created, finished his work of creation, he saw that he had finished all of the work of creation. And he saw that it was very good. And we can even see parallels between the first appearance of the resurrected Jesus as he is walking in the garden with Mary and God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
The story of Jesus and Mary might even be seen as a reversal of Adam and Eve's sin in the fall of human beings. And now Jesus breathes on the disciples, giving them his Holy Spirit, reenacting another key part of the creation story. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we're told, And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, for those of you who like to maybe geek out on some of these things, uh, word studies in the Bible, this word for breathed in the book of John, in the passage we just read, it's only used one time in the New Testament. And it's the same word that's used in Genesis 2, verse 7 here. That Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples by breathing his Holy Spirit on them that God was doing in the work of creation. By creating human beings and making them a living being. What John is telling us in all of this is that the resurrection is God's first step in remaking the world. In recreating the world. Again, this is the first day of the week. God began his work of creation on the first day. This is what we call new creation. This new resurrected imperishable body of Jesus Christ, who is now standing in the midst of his disciples, is the first piece of the puzzle that will eventually mean the redemption of the whole world. And this is a theme that we see run throughout the New Testament, the new creation in Christ That the God who created the world and created it good is now redeeming it and recreating it in Jesus Christ. I like the way that that, uh, N.T. Wright reflects on this idea, the New Testament scholar. He says, the good news of the Christian gospel is that this new world, this new creation has already begun. It began when Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead on Easter morning having faced and beaten the double enemy, sin and death, that has corrupted and defaced God's lovely creation. And then N.T. Wright goes on to imagine it like the story of the Good Samaritan. He says this, The world and we humans within it are in a mess, left for dead in the ditch. But the living God has come with hope and healing in Jesus Christ and has picked up the battered and dying world And has bound up its wounds and has set it on the road to full health. What a great image of everything that God is doing in the new creation through Jesus Christ. And now right at the beginning of this new creation, the disciples are being brought into it. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has been given to them by the risen Jesus himself. And this same spirit is given to us as well, making us a part of the new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. This is what Jesus is talking about uh, early in John's gospel when he's having his conversation with Nicodemus. He says that we must be born again of the Spirit. And I know sometimes people can be wary of that label, born again, but if you ask anyone who would say that that is true of them, that they have been born again, then they will tell you it's because Jesus Christ has changed their lives and they are living their new life in Christ. 
And this new life is life which sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. This is life in the Holy Spirit. It brings us back into communion with God, making peace between us and him. And God works out the sin in us, making us more and more into his likeness, restoring his image in us. It's not that we stop sinning in this life, and we know that that's not true, but it doesn't have the same hold on us that it did before because we are being made new. This is an emphasis that that goes throughout John's gospel, that Jesus came to give us life. We see it in John chapter 1, verse 4. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Perhaps most famously, we see it in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says that whoever believes in him, excuse me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the good news. And if we look just ahead of our passage today to the end of John chapter 20, he goes on to say this, these things are written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, Jesus is in the business of giving people life, new life in him, new and full and eternal life in the Spirit. And this is made possible through his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection has changed everything for us. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, then he is in us, making us new, restoring us into the image of God that we were created in in the first place. So that's the second word, receive the Holy Spirit. And the third word that Jesus brings to his disciples in our passage today is this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus was sent into the world by our Heavenly Father to do everything that we have just talked about. To die on the cross for our sins so that we might have peace with God because our sins have been forgiven. To rise from the dead so that we might have new life in Him as well. And part of what we see in this is that we serve a God who sins, a sending God. This is all through scripture. God sends the prophets in the Old Testament so that we may have his word. God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do all of the things we just talked about. God sends his Holy Spirit into the world so that he is always with us, never leaving or forsaking us, giving us the power to live in him. And now he also sends us, the church, into the world with his message. And it's not until Jesus has spoken peace and given the spirit that he sends them out. And then he sends them out specifically with the message of his forgiveness, that peace has been made. But more than that, Jesus sends them out into the world to enact his forgiveness. Now we have to remember that only God can forgive sins. We know that this is true. That work has been done on the cross. It is completed for us. But we as God's people have been given this message of forgiveness. And as we forgive others, just as we have been forgiven, the reality of God's forgiveness is made a known reality for the world that needs to know about it 
desperately. It's a task that has been entrusted to us. And friends, I don't say this as if forgiveness is easy, that it's just a matter of deciding to do it. If forgiveness was easy, we would have no broken relationships in this world anymore because we would just do it all the time. Forgiveness is hard, and we know that that is true. There are people who have truly hurt us in our lives. I think back over my life, and I can think of things even back to elementary school that I'm still upset about, that I'm still hanging on to, right? People that need to be forgiven in my life, and many things even more uh, worse than that, I would say, as well. But there are also people that we have truly hurt. There are people who have truly hurt our loved ones. There are people who have done really, really bad things in this world. And these people do not deserve our forgiveness. That is true. And it will cost us something to forgive them. That's something that I've uh, heard before, a quote I've heard, and and I've always thought it's, it's really true, that forgiveness will always cost us something. Forgiveness will always cost us something. There is no doubt. And yet, isn't this the gospel? Isn't this the gospel? Because none of us deserves to be forgiven of the things that we have said or done or even thought. And yet Jesus forgave us at the cost of his very life. And so this is uh, what we keep in mind as we go out with God's message of forgiveness. My Old Testament professor, Ellen Davis, who I quoted before, she had a great story that she shared from a friend of hers about this idea of God's forgiveness. And she said this, I was 16 when my mother left our family, my friend said to me. This wise friend in Christ was telling me a story from many years in the past after I had wondered out loud how it is that forgiving those who have sinned against us leads us into deeper faith. And she went on. I was convinced that she had ruined my life. What I lost when my mother left were things that I really needed. The happiness I felt in our home, the special intimacy between the two of us. I even lost my picture of what I might be like as a woman. Sometimes I imagined that my hands were around her neck and I was screaming, you owe me. My loss felt like a huge debt that was overwhelming us both. I could not live without what was missing. And of course, there was no way that she could pay it back. And people in my mother's past owed her debts that they could not pay. And it just seemed to go on and on. An endless chain of unpaid debts with the deficit always getting bigger. But then gradually over years, I came to realize that that is what the cross is about. Jesus paying off all those debts that we owe to each other, which we can never pay. And this is the strange thing. Once I knew that, that the debt had already been paid, then I could feel all of my pain. We cannot be whole unless we go all the way into the depth of the pain and the wrongdoing. But to go all the way down... We need the Holy Spirit within us, giving us strength, and then we can be healed. Friends, this is what changes the world, this kind of forgiveness. This is where new creation begins, with the forgiveness of our sins. If you have ever truly forgiven 
someone or been truly forgiven by someone, then you have experienced this for yourself. God has sent us with this task, this task which is too big for us on our own. But we go in the knowledge of our own forgiveness, that we have been forgiven by God, all of the debts that are too big for us to pay ourselves. And we go with the risen Christ because he has given us his Holy Spirit. And we go together with one another as part of the body of Christ, the family of God. The point is, friends, that we are not in this task alone. God sends us into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of his death and resurrection, of the forgiveness of our sins, of of new life in him, of new creation, which has begun and will be completed one day. I wonder today, friends, is today low Sunday for you? Is today low Sunday for you? Is it a day when it is hard to see what difference the resurrection really makes? Is it a day when you wonder if any of this is true or any of it really matters? Or is today resurrection day? Is today resurrection day where we can look at the world and see God at work in it, bringing about his new creation, even in small and subtle ways? or perhaps in big and life-changing ways, perhaps in forgiveness exchanged between you and somebody else that you know. Wherever you find yourself today, I pray that you will hear God's gracious words to you from this passage through the risen Christ. Peace be with you. You are forgiven. You have been reconciled to God. Receive the Holy Spirit. I am with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And as the Father has sent me, I send you. I am at work in and through you to bring new life to the world. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, forgiveness often seems too big for us, too big a task. It's hard for us to believe that you have forgiven us and all of the things that we have done. It's difficult for us to forgive others. And yet, Lord, this is where we put our hope and our trust, that you have forgiven us through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have taken all of our sins away from us so that we can be reconciled to you, our heavenly Father. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, We pray, Lord, that we would live with the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us. We pray that you would help us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And that through that, the good news of your Son would go forth into this world in great power. That others might come to know you and the joy of sins forgiven as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.